Okay, we're live. Actually, we're live again. So um, I tried starting this earlier, and I think I set something up wrong. Um, so I went back and sort of cleaned things up. But anyways, we're back. We're live. Thanks again for joining us. This is the John Riley Project. This is episode number 179. Um, thank you very much for joining us. And yeah, now look, my screen looks right now. So the, the world has, 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 uh, has, has gotten back on onto a level playing field here. So Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, yeah, this is episode 179, man. We're just building these episodes. I've got a lot to get in today. We're going to talk about local Poway news. I want to talk about Robert Reich and some of his comments on a truth commission. Um, we're going to speak a little bit about greed and, and you know, a lot of these objections to greed. Um, I'm going to give some personal updates on some of the things I'm working on. I've got election news, and I'm going to give an update on my podcast. I mean, I've got a ton of stuff to talk about today. I just don't know if we can fit it all in. So that's what I'm going to try to do. But I do welcome your comments, your questions, your thoughts. Just, you know, we're doing a live stream. That means it's not just me on my soapbox. You're involved. So we welcome your comments, your questions. Just type them into the comment section on YouTube or on Facebook. I'll be happy to read those on the air. And let's just have a little fun with this today, right? So it's Wednesday. It's hump day. It's October 21st. Um, We're going to start with some local news. And again, you know, I broadcast as I always do from the city in the country, Poway, California. And, you know, I cover a lot of local news here and uh, I have a lot of listeners, a lot of viewers that like that I cover a lot of local news and I enjoy it. In fact, that's how we started this podcast um, with a lot of the political candidates joining us for long form discussions. And I always have kind of a you know, mixed re- feelings about this, uh, about covering local news. I love it. I love the local content, but I'm trying to build something. And sometimes the local content, I kind of limits me in a way. So I'm trying to have a balance because I know I've got a lot of listeners and viewers that live here in Poway and Rancho Bernardo. So I got a whole bunch of things I want to talk about here locally. So the first big thing is you know, on mo- today's Wednesday. So on Monday, Barry Leonard was my guest. And, you know, Barry Leonard is our incumbent city councilman. He's running for reelection in District 2 against Phil Factor. And uh, Phil has been my guest a number of times on the podcast. And in fact, uh, Barry was sort of the, the missing the missing link of the whole thing, because we had all of the city council candidates that were running except Barry. We even had the the Poway school board candidates that were running for re-election, at least the ones from Poway in Area E. Uh, so Barry was the last one. So I was really happy that Barry joined us. And, you know, I met Barry probably in early 2015. And back then, my client who owned a business up in the Poway Business Park lived in I don't know, was it Bridalwood or the Grove or one of those communities across the street from Poway High School? And Barry was the president of the HOA there. He was running for reelection. And I I was introduced that way. So I got to know Barry early on. Um, And, you know, Barry's a good guy. I always I always kind of liked him. I know that when he got on city council, though, he was very he's very divisive. You know, there's a lot of people that really like him and there's a lot of people that don't like him. And, um, you know, I think Mayor Voss is similar that way, but to a far higher degree um, where the other three city council people, um, you know, John Mullen and Dave Grush and Kalen Frank are not nearly the lightning rods. Right. And so when I had Barry on as a guest, 
of course, I had a you know pretty decent um, audience in the live stream. Got lots of questions. Some really good questions came from the audience. But there was like a lot of. In some of those questions, there's a little bit of vitriol in the question. There are people that were, you know, not fans of Barry and they were asking questions and we tried to get them all in, but it was just impossible. Um, you know, Barry said he didn't want to go for a three hour marathon like I had done with Chris Olps. Um, so, you know, he only wanted to go an hour, but I, we got an hour and a half out of Barry, maybe even a little longer. Uh, so we tried to get in as many of the questions as we could. But, you know, it's interesting is after the podcast, there's been a lot of chatter on Facebook and, and in social media and YouTube and the comments. And again, we're just seeing more of interesting commentary because there were things that Barry said in the podcast that people took objection to. Um, like, for example, um, you know, Chris Olps had said, can measure P be changed? And Barry said, no, it can't be changed. And I had always stood by that as well, that I didn't think it could be changed. But then Barry went on to admit that actually it could be changed. And what could change is rather than having 160 homes at the farm in Poway, it could be downgraded to maybe 140 or 120, um, but not increased above 160. And I think, okay, but I think we all know that if this passes, they're not going to decrease the number of homes because they're not going to limit their financial opportunity. They're going to do 160 if it passes. And then could some buildings slightly move, you know, a little bit? Yeah, that could occur, but no, like significant changes, not like rearranging streets and the like. So I don't know, I think to a degree, you know, can it be changed? Yeah, but it can it really materially significantly be changed? Probably not. Um, so, but once the, the opportunity that change potentially might be in the plan, then people kind of freak out and they think, oh, my God, this is going to turn into some nightmare. This, you know, just some sort of a, you know, a, a dystopian sci fi novel. It's going to end up being a very bad deal. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think the way this proposition has been written is that, you know, the, the, Kevin McNamara is going to be largely locked in. You know, he's not going to be able to transform this from 160 homes and suddenly build 10 story high rise apartment buildings like on Mira Mesa Boulevard. So it's not going to be that. Um, but yeah, could there be slight changes? Yeah, I think there could. I think, you know, the developer, the the construction companies, yeah, there might be some you know, adjustments they're going to have to make, you know, as they're going through the process. Uh, but it's just interesting. Uh, so I got a comment here from John Carson. He goes, I am certainly no fan of Barry. He's in business for himself. 100%. Well, yeah, but all politicians are in business for themselves. 100%. Right. I mean, that's why they run for office They're They all are really pursuing uh, more power, more control for them as uh, as a politician. Um, no one goes into politics and wants to be Mother Teresa. You know, they're not going in there uh, to be a sacrificial lamb and not have some self-interest as a result of it. Um, John Carson goes on to say, um, uh, Measure P is a great plan for Poway brought to us by a good person. <laughs> Very good people on both sides of the argument, right? Um, so, yeah, Measure P, I, you know, again, I, I'm a big supporter of it, but... What's funny is I did a prop, I did a, a podcast not too long ago, I think about a week or two ago on all the propositions and there, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm sharing my thoughts, sharing my views. And I knew when I made, when I started this podcast project, I was going to have, 
you know, it's going to be uncomfortable at times, right? I'm, I'm sort of putting myself out there, uh, sharing my thoughts. And sure enough, you know, I'm going to, there's going to be people that are going to disagree with me. There are going to be people who like what I say, there are people who dislike what I say. Same with my guests. They're going to like the guests, dislike the guests. But, you know, for me doing the podcast, you know, I've taken a big risk. Um, but sure enough, you know, in that the podcast that I did on the on the propositions and on Measure P, you know, one person in particular was just, you know, calling me names and and, and shame, you know, trying to shame me and everything else. And I, I, you know, I think in a way it's kind of funny, you know, uh, I guess in a way it's a good thing. Right. If I'm doing a podcast and there are people that disagree with me and they feel so you know, passionately about it. They want to write comments on my YouTube uh, page for that episode. You know, more power to them, man. And if I wasn't making a difference, if I wasn't making some sort of an impact, then no one would comment at all. So I'm happy to get any sort of positive or negative comments and feel free to share them here in the live stream and I'll be happy to read them on the air. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we're getting it's getting closer and closer to Election Day and it's kind of getting a little bit crazier. Don't you feel that, you know, whether it's with the Trump and Biden or it's with Measure P or it's Joel Anderson and Steve Voss and the hate pieces are coming out. Some of the more aggressive mailers are coming out. So it's kind of a crazy time right now. Um but there was an interesting story. This is this is in Scripps Ranch, like Scripps Poway Parkway. You know where Yanni's Bistro is? It's um, right there. Yanni's Bistro is on Scripps Poway Parkway and the 15, just, just on the east side. And I think there's a hotel there. Is it like a, what is it, like a Marriott or something? And then there's, I know there's a Chili's there and a couple other things. But at any rate... Um, they're going through something similar uh, as as Measure P in, in a way, a little bit like the farm, where they have this really large parking lot and it's uh, a park and ride. And as part of the master plan of the community, it was a park and ride. And Yanni's uses or their customers use that for overflow parking, especially like on Friday and Saturday nights when they're really busy. Well, it turns out that somehow the city of San Diego was able to get possession of that land. I, I don't know how that worked, but apparently that they don't have to follow the rules of the master plan for that community. They, they can set their own rules. So, you know, Mayor Faulkner, city of San Diego, did I say city of Poway? City of San Diego um, owns that land. And now they're going to put housing there for seniors and for veterans. And it just it just sounds a lot like what we're going through in Poway. And so the Yanni was actually on the news on Channel 739. Artie Ojeda was there doing a live live remote. And he was saying, well, this is going to hurt my business. And, you know, my customers have nowhere to park and everything else. And it's just interesting because Mayor Faulkner is right that there is a massive need for housing. And, you know, he's trying to do what, you know, to try to go to the the groups that are often the ones that are on the short end of the stick. You know, the veterans, um, the the seniors in Poway, you know, we have uh, adults with disabilities. They have the Villa de Vida. So there's a lot of times you'll see that the solutions to housing are a lot of times to help those those disenfranchise those groups that are negatively affected by other things happening in the economy. Um, but it just struck me as this is another case where it's NIMBYism, right? But there's construction, there's a need for housing. 
there's going to be change, there's evolution, but there's always going to be impact. There's always going to be a ripple effect that other people are going to be affected in different ways. And so with Measure P and Poway, that's certainly the case, right? If, if there's 160 homes that go in, yeah, there's going to be more people on the road. Now, is it going to be enough to materially change um, the way your life is, is lived? <laughs> Probably not. You know, is there going to be more traffic on a Spola? Yeah. But how much more really uh, at any at any snapshot in time are suddenly 160 people are going to be driving on the road all at the same time? That's highly unlikely. Um, so there's going to be with all of this new construction, new housing development, of course, there is going to be a ripple effect. I think our friends um, that live, you know, near Poway Road are really feeling that right now. And, you know, the, the construction on Poway Road right now, it's is very volatile. I mean, we're going down to one lane and it's hard to get through and people are upset. And yeah, that is a material difference. When it's all implemented on Poway Road, I'm very curious to see what it ends up being like. Um, will it be this walkable community, you know, with retail and residential and the park kind of all symbiotically living together? That's an interesting idea. Will it actually turn out to be that? I don't know. Um, I have some skepticism. I think it depends on how well they optimize the signals. And I think Barry and I talked a little bit about that as far as the, the signals that Kevin McNamara wants to put in on Espola for the farm are going to have that real-time traffic monitoring algorithm so that the lights stay greener when there's a lot more people on the road and and they're they're optimized in real time second by second um, hopefully that kind of technology can go in on Poway Road and I think that can make a big difference um, but it was just interesting to see that Yanni's Bistro is experiencing this in their own way. And it is also odd that they want to build housing right there in the center of a very commercial parking lot, you know, with the gas stations right there and, you know, a hotel and some restaurants when across the street, there's a ton of open land. You kind of wonder who owns that land. You know, that's because sometimes they'll have Christmas tree farms or pumpkin farms out there uh, during the Halloween season. So I kind of wonder about that. Uh, but it was it was just interesting. So um, and then the other big thing that happened in Poway last night, and I didn't get a chance to see this. I just read about it from and Poway City Council had a meeting. And apparently the way that I understand it is that they were you know, the mayor and the and the city council had given latitude to the restaurants to open up seating outside. And so in many cases, that meant that they were encroaching in the parking lot. In other cases, you know, maybe they were taking up some parking spaces. I'm not sure to what degree and what the rule was, but they were opening up. The restaurants were given the latitude to open up space outdoors for for seating, you know, because of covid and you can't have indoor seating and the like. Well, the mayor, I know, as part of his campaign for for the county supervisor race, was making a big point of the fact that, hey, we're going to make this permanent. It's no longer temporary. It's going to be permanent. Well, actually, the, the picnic benches that were on loan are actually going to be a gift or, or permanently on loan, if you want to call it that. 
Um, but apparently there were some people in, you know, residents, you know, Powegians that were in the Zoom meeting of the city council meeting, and they were objecting to the plan because they were concerned with smoking in you know, the smoking ordinance. And again, again, I, I want to see this in, in person, or at least I'm going to watch a recording of it. But apparently they were cut off during public commentary and um, they were just shut down. And I was really surprised by this because at a city council meeting, there's a time and a place where the local citizens have an opportunity to speak. And definitely they have time limits because, you know, there's some people that could speak for an hour like I do in a podcast. Um, so they have time limits. But apparently this wasn't just a time limit limitation. People were literally just getting cut off. Like I think what the presidential commission uh, on debates is planning to do uh, tomorrow night with Trump and and uh, and Biden and cutting off muting microphones. Apparently that's what happened at the city council meeting. So that's that's a little disturbing to me if, if it all went down the way it was described, because you know, public commentary is important. And, and even as an elected official, you know, you've got your own agenda. I get that. Um, you've got uh, you know, people in the audience that agree with your agenda or strongly disagree with your agenda. That that's the nature of the job. Um, but it's important that I think you let the people speak their piece, even if you don't necessarily um, agree with them, even though you kind of already know that the vote is going to go your way, you still need to give the opposition the ability to vent and to share and to to let them make their statement. Um, but when you cut them off, then that's just that has a that doesn't um, that's a bad look. <laughs> that's that's going to end up haunting um, politicians when they do that. So I was really concerned when I heard about it. But, you know, I'll go a little bit of a tangent on the smoking ordinance. I know some people this is a very passionate topic. You know, some people think that and especially in California, you know, no smoking laws, really hardcore about it. And I think we saw some of this in the the forums that uh, that occurred where some of our city council, uh, I think Kalen Frank said this, and so did Frank Fournier, who's one of the challengers in District 4, that they weren't necessarily in favor of a smoking ban outdoors in the patio seating at these restaurants as they're, you know, managing their way through COVID. And Again, this is just this is an interesting topic, um, and I, I want to kind of go down this rabbit hole a little bit. So, speaking for myself, um, I was raised in a household of smokers. Um, to this day, my mom still smokes. My stepfather is no longer with us. He passed away from you know uh, you know problems with his lungs that was and, and and other issues that he had that were largely from his addiction to tobacco and alcohol. Um, and so um, I've been surrounded by smoking my whole life and it's been very difficult. Um, I've urged my parents to stop since I was tiny, since I can remember, even before when my mom was single, before she remarried, I was like, I remember like being six or seven years old and telling my mom, you shouldn't smoke. It's not good for you. Um, but my mom, you know, you, you, people are addicted and it's hard to break that addiction. And there's like a social angle to that. And this is back, you know, around 1970. Well, times have changed a lot. Right. And so now smoking is largely taboo, especially in California, especially in public places. Um, and 
you know, again, when I, it's just funny. I, I, I think I look back on it. I remember when I was playing music in bands and this is before smoking was banned in restaurants and in bars. And I remember playing music in bands and, you know, you're up there on stage and doing your thing and you sweat. Right. So I remember afterwards when I got home and I would take my shirt off that was still damp. It smelled terrible. It was just awful. And I and you don't realize it when you're in it, but you realize it when you get to a clean space and then you can really experience it. I often thought, geez, when I was a little kid running around at school, my friends from non-smoking households, they probably could tell um, that I came from that because it was probably just permeating through all my clothing. It's just it's just a crazy issue. Now, I've always been probably the most anti-smoking person you'll ever meet because of what I went through as a child. Um, I'm proud to say it's kind of a I don't know if many people can say this, but I have never once in my life even taken a single puff of of a cigarette. Never. And because to me, it's always just been so negative, so distasteful, so something I never wanted to do. But I've never gotten to the point where I said I want to force other people to not be able to smoke. And this goes back to my liberty mindedness. And so I always thought that when they implemented that smoking ban in restaurants and bars, I always thought they don't they shouldn't do that. You know, if a if a bar wants to allow smoking, they should be able to do that. And then you as a customer, you can pick between a smoking and a non-smoking bar. And in California, especially, how many do you, bars do you think that would exist that would allow smoking? Very few. I mean, they would exist. But the good news is, is all the smokers would go over there and everyone else could enjoy non-smoking places. So here the city council was trying to put forward a city code that prevented or not. They weren't trying, but they were being challenged by people in the audience to put forward a city code to ban smoking in patio outdoor locations. Um, the city council didn't do it, I think, because they want to, you know, they they want to I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what their motivation is, but I'm of the opinion that the restaurants should choose for themselves. And as as customers, we can choose. And and my gut tells me is that if a restaurants have the ability to choose, the vast majority of them will make them non-smoking. Because they know that the smoking is going to repel other customers and they're likely going to be, you know, negatively harmed as a result of it. So um, it's just it's an interesting topic. In the end, you know, this is California, right? In the end, there will be a code that will prohibit smoking outdoors in restaurants. Um, If the city of Poway doesn't do it, I'm sure some higher authority will make them do it because that's kind of how California is. Um, But it was it was a little bit disturbing to hear that last night that people in the audience who waited their turn that had an opportunity to speak on the issue were literally cut off by members of the city council. Now, again, I haven't witnessed this firsthand. I'm taking this as hearsay, but I have no reason to not believe what I read. Um, so, yeah, you know, again, it's election time. So I, I think I know that the mayor is he's got an election on the line. He probably doesn't want anyone challenging his agenda, especially here at the 11th hour. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to look that up and I encourage you to do that. Um, there was also some, a little bit of a tangent. There was a little discussion online 
here in Poway about the thought of finally having term limits for our city council. Um, you know, Dave Grush, one of our sitting council members, campaigned for term limits, got into office and then changed his mind and said the term limits really, he thought, um, were harmful because it took him so long to get up to speed to be an effective city council person. Um, so he committed to only being um, in, ter- in office for two terms, then changed his mind. He's in the middle of his third term now, which won't, which will expire in 2022. It'd be interesting to see if he runs again. My hunch is he probably won't, but you never know. Uh, I'm a believer in term limits. Um, I always have been because I think that uh, incumbent politicians have a natural a natural advantage um, in a race because they already have name recognition. They already have a certain level of trust from voters, you know, because they're in that authority position already. Um, They've been covered a lot more in the media. They typically are going to have a lot more backing from other groups and other resources. Incumbents always have a natural advantage. And the longer incumbents stay in office, the more they become like the swamp, right? They become more like, they become less, in my opinion, they become less of innovators and more of integrated into the system of government. Um, I'm a big believer in having fresh faces, fresh ideas, and kind of forcing that turnover. Um, and I think that's what our founding fathers envisioned for America, that people would be have be regular citizens. They'd have their family and their career and their life. And, yeah, they might serve a term or two in office, and then they go back to their regular life. And that was kind of the idea, you know, especially this notion of by the people, for the people, you know, and the people and participatory government, et cetera. It was usually with the thought that there is kind of a revolving door there. But that's a good thing, in my opinion, because we get fresh faces, fresh ideas, new perspectives, um, ideas that kind of change as society changes a little bit. I think it's a fresh thing. So. Um, we're not going to see a term limit or, or um, you know, ballot measure this cycle. I would hope someone could bring one forward in the next election cycle. And I know Santee has done this. A few other cities have done this. And I think that would be a really good thing. Okay. Um, Oh, my God, we're 25 minutes in and I have I just touched on one topic. So, again, we're live streaming. Um, I welcome your thoughts, your comments. Type them into the, um, you know, the comment section and the Facebook or the or the YouTube feed. And I'll be happy to read them on the air. Now, I want to talk about Robert Reich or is it Reich or is it Reich? I think it's Reich. And so Robert Reich is the former secretary of labor under President Bill Clinton. Um, And he's a professor. Where is he a professor? I know it's at an East Coast University, might be at an Ivy League school. Um, But he's he's a very, you know, well-spoken man. Um, He's very progressive. He has a really strong Twitter following, does a lot of videos. He's done a lot of those animated videos or the handwriting videos and the, you know, whiteboard sketch videos that are, I don't know how those are created, but he, he, he has some good people working for him that help him get really quality content out there. And he had this this tweet that he shared that was really like you read this and he was like a this was a little bit out of left field. And I want to read it to you and and kind of talk a little bit about it. And Robert Reich said, when this nightmare is over and he's referring to Trump and, and everything at the national level, when this nightmare is over, we need a truth and reconciliation commission. 
It would erase Trump's lies, comfort those that had been harmed by his hatefulness, and the name and name every official, politician, executive, and media mogul whose greed and cowardice enabled this catastrophe. You're like, wow, that's a lot. So um, I was. You, I read that and I'm like on one level, OK, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter and, you know, Trump is always bagging on the fake news. But Trump himself is one of the biggest, you know, you know, one of the biggest instigators of fake news going all the way back to, you know, President Obama not being born in the United States. So Trump and again, I'm, I'm not a Trump fan at all. Um, and so to me, when this nightmare is over, yeah, to a degree, this is a nightmare. Um, but a truth and reconciliation commission, you hear that, that kind of sounds spooky. That sounds kind of like 1984, right? Didn't they have something like that in the George Orwell novel? And so, um, yeah, I, I, um, I looked this up and this was interesting. And this was a quote from 1984. And he says, like an answer, the three slogans on the white face of the ministry of truth, Okay, so what is Wright calls it a commission, no, a truth and reconciliation commission. 1984 calls it a ministry of truth. Um, The three slogans on the white face of the ministry of truth came back to him. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength on coins, on stamps, on book covers, on banners, on posters and on the wrappings of a cigarette packet. Okay, there's an interesting connection to a previous discussion everywhere. Always the eyes watching you and the voice enveloping you asleep or awake, working or eating indoors or outdoors in the bath or in the bed. Sounds like green eggs and ham. No escape. Nothing was your own except the few cubic centimeters inside your skull. So, yeah, like when you hear this idea of a truth and reconciliation commission sounds kind of spooky, like the ministry of truth, um, in 1984 and and another weird tangent, I hear ministry of truth and I'm thinking about Depeche mode (laughs) and I was, I had to look it up and it's, they have the ministry of sound and the policy of truth. That's Depeche mode. But you know, what is a truth and reconciliation commission? I mean, on the surface, like it sounds like the government's going to decide what the truth is. And you're thinking, well, why should they decide who gets to decide? And do we want, you know, the next elected official to decide on the truth? I mean, who do you believe, you know, and what's distortion? And if we, I heard an interesting quote too. If, If we think the news is fake now, what's the history? How true is the history? We don't know. So, I read this. I'm just going to read a little bit. This is from the Wikipedia entry on what a Truth and Reconciliation Commission is. A Truth Commission, also known as a Truth and Reconciliation Commission or Truth and Justice Commission, is an official body. Okay, that's key. That means it's a government agency or or a government commission of some kind tasked with discovering and revealing past wrongdoing by a government. Um depending on circumstances, non-state actors also, in the hope of resolving leftover conflict left over from the past. Truth commissions are under various names, occasionally set up by states emerging from periods of internal unrest, civil war, or dictatorship. In both their truth-seeking and reconciliation functions, truth commissions have political implications. They constantly make choices when they define such basic objectives as truth, reconciliation, justice, memory, reparation, and recognition and yada, yada, yada. So really interesting, you know, so should, is Reich, is Robert Reich right? Uh, Should there be a, 
you know, a, a truth and reconciliation commission. You know, some people are saying this is like the Soviet Union or other people were joking that Robert Reich has the, the, the perfect last name for this sort of thing. Cause it sounds like the third Reich. Um, so I, I, I get, I, I get it. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of truth telling that needs to be told. There's a lot of setting the record straight that needs to happen. The question I always have is who gets to decide? Who gets to decide what is true? Uh, and and even that we, it's admitted it's a government agency. It has a political objective. So when politics are involved, the, the truth becomes politicized and it gets distorted. So I'm I get why, you know, if there's been a civil war or dictatorship and, you know, there needs to be reconciliation and people needing to say they're sorry for these things. Okay. I I get that to a degree, but I still, I have trouble with some, you know, objective person. I I don't think that there's such a thing by the way, but some, some independent person deciding what the truth is. I think the truth is something that we have to figure out ourselves. This is one of the things I think about with when I go over the media and people say, oh, the media is biased and, you know, Fox News is this and, you know, Mother Jones is that. And and I, I often think, you know, you can't depend on any one source of media, right, because they all have an agenda. Every media is biased, um, not by what they say, but often by what they choose not to say. Um, All media is biased in some form. Sometimes it's very conscious bias and sometimes it's very unconscious. And that's why I think it's important that we get our information from a wide range of sources and then we can distill the truth ourselves. But in a nation where we have freedom of speech, where people are allowed to speak their mind, there is going to be myths, truths that are going to be stated, sometimes intentionally, um, because people have um, nefarious um, objectives. Sometimes, you know, you can even say that there's an intentional disinformation campaign going on in some cases, and that's that's true. But you have to let the system sort of sort it out. Uh, so-called experts will have, you know, they'll be so-called objective fact checkers. They'll call them out and then there'll be fact checkers cross-checking the fact checkers. And that process that, that it's a bit chaotic, but it's natural. It's organic. That process will usually sort most of it out. And then we're going to have some vigorous debate on some of the issues, but I always am distrustful of having some government official be the, the, um, you know, the person that decides what is true. Um, but that's what we're getting here in this proposal from Robert Reich. But um, I'm thinking if, if you really want to get down to what's true and what's fake, I mean, let's not stop with Trump. I mean, there is a ton of things that are regularly repeated in the media that are false. Um, I, I have a whole list right here and I'll just read a few of them because I remember I made this list is, you know, in a previous podcast, I talked a lot about how, As much as the media tries to make us think that the Republicans and Democrats are night and day difference, the reality is that they're very, 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 very similar parties. Um, They just have a slight difference in rhetoric. They are different in degree, but not in kind. But like people will claim that, yeah, the Republicans are for low taxes. But no, they're not. They just increase taxes on imports. They still have really high taxes. You think um, a 37 percent top marginal rank rate uh, uh, marginal rate is low? It's not. 
over half of our America's history, there was no income tax. And then when it was finally implemented, it was had a top rate of only 7%. And now the top rate is 37%, but people think that the Republicans want low taxes. They don't. The Republicans want really high taxes. So do the Democrats, but they just made a slight difference on how high. Uh, they both want a lot of taxes to fund a lot of government, more warfare, more welfare, you know, more distribution. That's what they're all about. And that's how they control and gain power over the system. There's other things like people used to say that George Bush and even people say Donald Trump is like a, they're for unfettered capitalism. No, they're not. <laughs> they're they're for a very centrally planned rigged system. I mean, President Bush expanded Medicare and rigged the pharmaceutical industry for, for high prices with his Medicare Part D. That's not unfettered capitalism. President Trump is setting up trade wars and and tariffs and blockading Cuba and setting up walls on the southern border and, you know, to prevent the the free flow of labor, you know, that's not free market. Um, So we can go down the list and, you know, there's, again, so many untruths. And people say Bush tried to privatize Social Security. You'll hear that all the time. No, he didn't. (laughs) Um, His proposal was to take a teeny weeny tiny slice of the program and give people the option to put a smaller fraction of their money in a private account. So uh, it only allows certain people to have that ability to choose. It only let them choose a fraction of their withholdings. And many people could choose to keep it in the status quo system. And then some people could put it in some alternative investments and all of the historical money that had been in the trust fund for Social Security remained in the government run system. Yet people will tell me over and over again that Bush wanted to privatize Social Security. You'll even hear people say that the Republicans want to demolish and destroy and eliminate Social Security. They're never going to do that. In fact, they they renew it every year. They increase spending on it every year. President Reagan increased taxes on it every year. So it's like so much misinformation. You know, people talk about the social contract, you know, like it's a real thing um, and then hold people accountable to it. But the social contract is a myth. The social contract doesn't exist. The social contract is only used at the convenience of those people that want to use it to control and manipulate others. Um, People will, you know, sometimes so-called terms that are in the quote unquote social contract will be unilaterally changed by people in government. But in a contract, you can't change things without mutual agreement. In a contract, both people sign it and there's terms and conditions. And if there is a violation, then people are held to account. The social contract doesn't exist, yet people continually cite it. Uh, Not only does it not exist physically, I mean, that's obvious, but it, it doesn't even exist in as as a even as a verbal contract, because it's not a contract. There is no um there's no ability to police it and to monitor it. So um, other ones like the Republicans are, are for austerity. We saw that during the Great Recession. That's not true. Um, the government, the Republicans want to keep increasing spending on government. They just want to do it a little more slowly than the Democrats. But they called that austerity, like we were tightening our belts. And they weren't. They were fattening their belts just at a slower rate of speed, at a slower acceleration rate. Um, 
gosh, I mean, I, even the robber barons, I mean, we hear about that like in, in school about how the, the robber barons like Rockefeller and all these other guys were these evil people that destroyed America. And again, that's a myth as well. I mean, because you go back to the leader, the industrial leaders during the Industrial Revolution in the latter part of the 19th century, those people were massive innovators, transformed America from a largely kind of agricultural mercantile economy into this industrial powerhouse, which eventually made America the most powerful nation on the planet. Um, it was this innovation that led to cars um, and planes, trains and automobiles, to quote the Steve Martin, John Candy uh, movie. Those aren't pillows. Um, and so all that innovation that came in the latter part of the 19th century that created massive wealth, not just for the rich people, but for the ordinary man who saw the ordinary person's standard of living rise, that created so much wealth that schools could be funded and philanthropic efforts could be used to build museums and universities all around the United States. And yet the robber barons are called robbers and barons. So if we're going to have this, this Truth and Reconciliation Commission... Then don't stop with Trump. I mean, there's a lot more that we can we can go over, and I'm sure you might even have some suggestions as well. Um, but it's also if you go back to the where's the right quote? I have it right here. He says in here, um, it would erase Trump's lies, and God knows there's plenty of Trump lies, and comfort those that have been harmed by his hatefulness. Okay, there's a lot of those. Um, And name every official politician, executive and media mogul whose greed and cowardice enabled this this catastrophe. And I want to talk just a little bit about greed. We're hearing a lot about greed these days, right? You know, whenever the economy is, um, you know, when the people at the top are doing exceptionally well, uh, people call out income inequality, wealth inequality, and they always call out the greed of people. But think about this. I mean, they never really define it all the way. They, they just kind of, it's sort of this broad brush of, you know, these people are greedy and we got to get greed out of the system. Well, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of Milton Friedman when he was on the Donahue show, but who is greedy? Are you greedy? Well, certainly you're not greedy. It's the other guy that's greedy, right? But the, the, what the fact is, is that this society, this economy runs on people like you or me pursuing our own rational self-interest for us to go out and make our life better. And we do that by going out and working and innovating and providing products and services to improve the lives of our customers, which in turn creates the, uh, the money, which creates wealth and the wealth goes to the workers, the wealth goes to the investors, and and we can debate upon what percentages those go and who benefits the most from it. But in the end, we're all pursuing our own self-interest. And in doing so, that's what led to all these innovations, things like I can do a podcast and I, I have the ability to live stream this comes from those innovations. Now, you might say, oh, yeah, the Internet was invented by the government, but it took private companies to to monetize it, private companies to, to bring it to the masses. That's a good thing. Um, so we're all out there sort of pursuing our own self-interest, but it, but is that greedy? You know, some people think it is because they, again, using Mother Teresa as an example, they want people to be 
you know, they, they want people to be selfless because the opposite is, is selfish, you know, which is greedy, which is bad, which implies, you know, the whole liar, cheater, um, you know, liar, cheater, stealing person, but not again. I think when people condemn greed, they're not being specific. They're often um, condemning good actors with bad actors, and they're making a lazy assessment of what the problem really is. So I'm, I'm of the belief that when we're living our life, we all, again, this podcast is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're all out here to pursue our happiness, which means we all are on this planet. We're all living a life, our own life. That's our inalienable right to our life. We, it's our life to live. We own our lives. You own you. I own me. This is my life to live. YOLO. You only live once. Be all you can be. Pursue your happiness. Live your life according to your own values. Going out in the world and, and pursuing your interests and and you know building some wealth and having the means to make your life comfortable and enjoyable, having the means to help people that you love that you want to support and help that's all a good thing, but some people think that's greedy because you're in it for yourself um, I don't think that's greedy. I I think that's natural. That's normal to want to make your life as good as it can be. Um, But we've talked about this on the podcast before that a lot of what happens um, in our economy, a great deal of what happens in our economy are win-win outcomes, right? People, there are people on this planet that gotten fabulously rich by being of huge help and service to other people. Um, My Bill Gates is a great example um, where he, he, his development of software technology and in some cases, hardware technology has greatly improved the masses. I mean, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people on this planet have benefited directly or indirectly from Microsoft. And as a result, Bill Gates has become one of the, one of, if not the most wealthy man on the planet, but is he greedy? You know, I, again, I don't know a lot of the Detail of of um, uh, of Bill Gates and how you know how what makes him tick. Right now, he's given a lot of his money away, and I think for some people that suddenly makes him a saint. But if you're out there in the world, acting ethically, acting morally, creating products and services that benefit other people, and trading that for money, and you're you and you're pursuing your interests, and you want to do more and more of that because you want to amass more wealth because that makes your life more pleasant. That's not a bad thing. And I don't think that should be condemned. But if there are people that are making their money by cheating others, by stealing from others, by lying to others and fraudulently taking their money, now that needs to be condemned. If people are achieving their wealth through immoral means, then I'm going to, to me, that's greedy is when they will go to such an extent to harm the other person in order to satisfy their own need. To me, that, because pursuing rational self-interest to me is very reasonable, very rational, and I don't think should be condemned, but still it is. Um, but when people say, you know, we have too much greed, you know, and I think they need to be more specific. And, and this, that's just an example of it. A little bit of a tangent, though. But I mean, I saw that in Robert Reich's quote 
where is my yeah, right here, this, this Twitter piece. And I, I just felt like con- compelled to talk about that. Um, but yeah, Robert Reich's an interesting guy. He's, he's very well-spoken. He's really interesting to listen to. Um, he's got a really good grasp of his content. Obviously he's a very smart man. He's a professor. He's, um, I'm sure he's a PhD is, you know, and, um, a, a labor secretary. I mean, the guy's a remarkable man. He has a different political point of view than me. Um, but I do enjoy watching him and listening to him and I learn things. And sometimes I learn things that are helpful for me that make my, that really reinforce my own opinions. But in other cases, what I learn from him is a better articulation of how my opponents think and how what they believe in. And then it gives me better empathy for me to understand why people believe what they believe. And, um, to me, Robert Reich is really good at that. Okay. Um, all right. We've got a couple more things. We're, what are we at? 47 minutes. I'm still happy to take your questions, your comments. Um, let, let me know in the live stream. You know, John Carson chimed in, but by, by all means, let me know if you have some comments or thoughts. I know when I'm talking about greed, I know that's going to ruffle people's feathers. I know that there are some people that think that greed is the biggest problem we have in society right now um, and will challenge me on that. In fact, there's a lot of people think that this whole Measure P in Poway, the farm in Poway, is all about greed. It's all about money for the developer. Well, I look at Kevin McNamara. I've known him for quite a while. Yeah, he's in it to make money. I mean, there's there's really nothing wrong with that. Um, He's He's gambling to a degree. He's investing a million dollars or more of his own money. He's got investors to help him uh, to make this plan to, you know, essentially do all the upfront work, the consulting work, the planning work. Um, Yeah, that's that doesn't come cheap. And, you know, he's he's making a bet. And if if Measure P passes, you know, Kevin McNamara is going to be wealthier. But is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I mean, it's not like he's lying or cheating or stealing. He's not, you know, he's very upfront. He's open. He's had all these community forums. He's explained his position. Um, he's written this language in such a way that it, that, yeah, the, the plan could change, but not significantly change, not radically change. It's just a tiny bit of adjustment, you know, during the time of construction. So the fact that developers make money. I don't see that's a problem. Uh, They're creating products, in this case, housing, that's going to benefit other people. People are going to be able to move to Poway, to enjoy a life in Poway, to raise their family in Poway. You know, people want to live here and people say, oh my God, those are like million dollar homes and no one's going to want to buy them. Uh, They can't afford them. We have some friends that live here in, in Poway. They just listed their home for sale. Um, and it was just a bit over a million dollars. And they had multiple offers above the asking price, and it sold in a matter of a few days. That's amazing. So there is massive need for housing in this market, whether it's at the top, in the middle, or at the bottom. There is massive need for housing. And it's not just in Poway. It's everywhere in California. And for the longest time, California has been extremely resistant to building, to construction, a lot of it driven by zoning laws and nimbyism and, and environmentalism and a lot of other things. Now, government officials at the state level, Democrats, are singing a different tune. Um, they're trying to restrict local or uh, local um, uh, governments from having some of these uh, housing zoning laws and 
if that happens, who knows? Maybe Prop FF in Poway could be overturned. Um, that would have a negative outcome for those that are very uh, much in support of Prop FF. But I see this plan on Measure P coming forward. And to me, it's a net improvement over what exists. It's satisfying the existing need. It has community uh, resources that that we can enjoy because it's not a it's not private. We can go to the agricultural area. We can go to I don't know if it's going to be a cafe or, or a beer, um, a, a craft brewery or something like that's going to be there. Um, there are recreational facilities and trails and it's going to be open to everybody. And right now. You can't get in there at all because it's fenced off and it looks like hell. So I think it's going to be good. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm digressing. So a couple of updates I want to share. And gosh, we're at 51 minutes. Just some personal things. I mean, I was, I was sharing with you how I have been going through this huge addition by subtraction project. And this to me has been the most awesome project that I've been working on. And I've been doing it mostly on the weekends, a little bit during on weekdays, but going through all my stuff and doing more and more of it. And what I did recently, I did some really neat things is I got these, I went and ordered these really nice wooden boxes and I I bought two of them and they're like, I don't know, like roughly the size of a shoe box. And I was able to have like a really nice place to put a lot of my personal mementos. And before I had them scattered about like in various boxes and, and other, and drawers and everything. And these are like artifacts, like things like jewelry, like that my father owned. Um, and like a tie clip that my father owned, um, from the 1960s and, you know, old IDs and just little things that are very small and very personal. And now I have a special place for them and it's perfect and it's clean and it's easy. And then I've also, and when going through like my old musical equipment, I've been selling it. I made like 700 bucks last weekend selling a bunch of musical gear that I don't use anymore. So I'm like, this is great. I've less stuff, less clutter. I'm empowering other people to use products that's going to improve their life. And then I make a couple of bucks doing it. I'm getting a little bit of my own money back, which is nice. Um, God, what else have I done? Just lots of purging of things. And I'm telling you, this is the greatest thing ever. I went through um, and I went, I did about two weeks ago, I went through my bedroom and I must've gotten rid of at least 50% of my clothes, maybe two thirds. Um, And that in and of itself was fantastic. But then earlier this week, I went one more pass through and filled up a whole other hefty bag full of clothing. And now the, my side of the closet is just tiny and it's great and it's just simple and it's easy. And I can't recommend this enough. Um, cause not only am I like, I'm giving away my things, other people are going to enjoy them. I had some shirts that I had never even worn, um, because they were a gift and I felt guilty about giving it away. Or in some cases it was a shirt that, you know, may have been bought when I was, you know, a little bit more, a little thinner back then. And so I couldn't fit into it and I felt guilty giving it away because I still like the shirt, but you know, I just unloaded it and other people are going to get to enjoy that. And that's good for them. And I get to enjoy it because I have less stuff, less burden. I'm just thinking, man, I don't need all this stuff. And it's, it's like, un, it's, unloading my mind. It's unloading physically, but it's unloading mentally. And, um, I've gone through 
old paperwork from my business and personal old files, um, old musical equipment, old clothing. Um, I still I went through a lot of my old technology and and, and took that to e-waste places. I'm shredding things. It's, it's just been this ongoing process. And my goal is to get it all done by the end of October. Um, I still have to go through a few more things in my shed. I still have some old bicycles that I'm going to give away. Uh, got to, but I want to fix them up and make them so they work um, so that whoever gets it, they can enjoy it right away. Uh, so I still have some more work to do, but it is just a great thing. And the other great thing that happened to me over the weekend is I tell you, I do a lot of my own ancestry research and I'm signed up on ancestry.com and I did the DNA tests with them. And I know that's a little spooky, uh, but the, to me, the benefits of doing it were far greater than any negative from doing that. Any potential negative. But, um, you know, I'm learning more and more about my family. And I always knew my family was from Southern Ireland, from County Cork. And I learned later on that a good number of my family members are from Kinsale, which is a um, which is a, uh, a seaside community south of Cork. Um, in Southern Ireland, you know, south of Dublin by a lot and further south from Cork. But then I'm discovering that more and more of my family are from the Bira Peninsula in, 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 in Ireland. And in Ireland, if you look at a map and the bottom of it, there are all these peninsulas that jetty out. They're like these fingers. And many of them are only like probably like five to 10 miles wide. They're really narrow. And I'm learning that one of my families, uh, a lot of my family members are from the Bera Peninsula. And there's even a Bera or Bear Island that's there that some of my family members historically were from. And this is the this is on my grandmother, my grandma Riley's side where the all these Harringtons. And apparently there were a lot like these Harringtons married other Harringtons. So I don't know, you know, genetically, I might have a couple of hiccups, um, but it's been difficult to kind of navigate and figure that out. Well, anyways, as part of this process and doing the DNA, other people connect with me. And then I found a an, a relative of me. It's very distant on my family tree. And she lives in um, the southern southwestern part of uh, of England. And God, what was the name of the community? But it's kind of near. Um, is it Cornish? You know, kind of out there at the, the southwest corner of England. And she is from the same part of this family. And we were exchanging notes. And it's just a beautiful thing. You know, where you're online, you're connecting with people that share your values, that share your family history. You're helping each other. We're learning from each other. She got some tips from my research. I got some tips from her research. We talked a lot about how we both wanted to go, uh, you know, to Ireland this year, but the COVID thing kind of screwed us all up. She had a chance to go out to the Bira Peninsula because for her, it's not that far. And this is before COVID. And she stayed in the cottage that her great, great, great grandmother stayed in and it had no running water, no electricity. And she spent the night there. I don't know how she was able to do that, but that must've been really cool. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to eventually going to Ireland. I've, you know, my ancestors came from Southern Ireland. They came over, you know, during, not during the potato famine, but afterwards, like mostly like between 1860 and 1890. Um, And then many of them, trekked out to Butte, Montana, where they worked in the mines, uh, you know, from the 
around 1880 to about 1910, 1915. And then from there, many of them went to California, particularly San Francisco. And then that's where my lineage, you know, becomes a lot more visible because uh, my family is all from San Francisco. Uh, but it's cool to trace that. And it's a great excuse for a road trip. So last year, right around this time, my wife and I, we went to Butte, Montana. And what a, that's an interesting city. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go out there, it's, it's like a big... You know, uh, it's a definitely a mining city. The the side of the mountain has been carved out. Um, you know, it, environmentalists are probably horrified by the side of it. But it's, you know, Butte provided a tremendous amount of the copper that we use now for telephone lines and electricity and everything else. Um, it, Butte is still a big mining town, but they had their heyday right around the turn of the century. Uh, really interesting. And a lot of the old houses that are there. I went and visited where my family members were born or had lived going back three or four generations. And some of those houses are not in very good shape any longer, but they're still there. And it was really cool. Um, so we were there like for about three or four days. So that was last late September of last year. And so I, I'm just loving it. I'm doing a lot with, with family research and really enjoying it. Um, and then the other update in my world is uh, my mom lives in Escondido at an independent living facility, and she's recovering from a broken hip, and she had surgery last month, and we got some new furniture for her, and that got installed. So I'm going to be going over there to, tonight and kind of helping her you know, build some of these tables that we ordered on Amazon, and then Jerome's delivered a couch and a chair, and so I'm really happy that my mom's going to actually have like a nicer situation in our living room. Um, so going out there tonight to kind of give her a hand. Um, okay. So a couple more things to talk about. And thanks again for everyone that's watching and listening on this podcast episode. This is episode 179. I still got one more piece to cover and I want to talk a little bit about the election. And, you know, this is coming up, gosh, like in a couple of weeks now. So we're at the home stretch and it's interesting when, I see people and, you know, people are really fired up about this election, right? You know, whether you're, you know, a Democrat or you're a Republican or you're here in Poway, whether you're you're for Phil Factor or you're for Barry Leonard or Chris Olps or Kalen Frank or Frank Fournier. And, you know, everyone's kind of got their team, their candidate and people are fired up. And, you know, there's a lot of people that just really aren't that engaged with politics. And sometimes you think, well, how in the hell are they not engaged? Um, how can you avoid it? But, you know, some people are just busy and they have other priorities in their lives. So it, it's interesting. And I have a friend of mine here in Poway and his son, who is the same age as my son, um, registered to vote for the first time. And so he's 20 years old. Um, and my friend, the father, is just so proud of his son and just thinks this is a big moment in his life. And and he's going to participate in democracy. And this is a great thing. And it, it's interesting how so many of us take great pride or great value in our vote. And different people have different reasons that they vote. And my reason to vote has changed. And I've talked a little bit about this in the podcast Um because in some cases, obviously, people vote because they're voting for what they want, right? They want their side to win, their proposition to win, their, um, 
their politician to win. In some cases, they want the other side to lose. Maybe that's their motivation. At the presidential level, I think that's largely true. People will vote for the lesser of evils. They want the, the they'll, they'll vote for the bad guy to keep the really, really bad guy out. Um, but then I, I used to think that way. And then eventually what I really learned is that my single vote is valuable, but it's not so much that it's valuable to the election process and the counting of the votes. It's just valuable to me, you know? So, cause like when I vote, I know that my single vote is not going to tip the scales. It's my single vote is not going to turn California from a blue state to a red state. It's not going to turn, um, you know, it's not going to be the deciding vote for city supervisor or county supervisor. Now, for Poway City elections, I can't vote at all because I'm in District 3 and District 2 and 4 are being uh, voted on. Um, and then for Poway Unified School District, it's Area E, which I no longer, I used to live in Area E, now I don't. Um, so I can't vote in the local election. But even when I vote in the local elections, I know that the likelihood that my vote is going to break a tie is minuscule, <laughs> tiny. Now, granted, I know people have looked back at the last election, the uh, when we had an at-large seat, when Kalen Frank won, ran against Tory Powers, uh, who's a longtime Poway resident who has long, long history here in Poway. And I remember some people had done the math, and even though it was an at-large election, they only looked at the District 4 precincts, and I think they figured out that Kalen Frank won, but not by many votes. Was it like, was it 16 or was it 32? I can't remember, but it was a small number of votes. But even then, it wasn't one vote. It wasn't your vote, the vote never usually comes down to one, except like in a movie or in some very rare case. So I know that when I vote, my vote isn't going to break a tie. So that's so I now have shifted my vote. I don't no longer vote strategically. I no longer vote that I want to help that guy to keep that guy out or I want to you know, tilt the playing field or I, you know, I, I, what I vote differently, I vote as an expression of my own values. To me, my vote is important to me. Um, it's, it's kind of like free speech. It's kind of like this podcast where I can go and I can officially say, this is what I believe in. And I don't have to ask permission. I don't have to make excuses. I don't have to rationalize my decision, although I do that in my podcast. But at a voting boot, I don't have to do anything. I can actually go there. I can say it and it's counted. To me, that in and of itself is very valuable. It's kind of like the um, the people at the Poway City Council meeting, they got cut off. You know, if you're getting cut off, it's like being cut off from voting in a way. It's kind of an analogy. But Having the when you have the ability to freely express yourself, even if it doesn't go your way, that's still empowering to you because, you know, you're saying what is important to you. It gives you great self-esteem and, you know, you're doing and standing up for your own principles. I think that's very valuable. So I for me, when I vote, I will often vote for candidates or for propositions that I'm positive I'm going to lose. And people will say, you can't do that. It's a wasted vote. Why would you vote for something you know you're going to lose? Well, and then and, and they'll say, instead, you should vote for th- these guys because they have the best chance of winning. 
I don't do that anymore. In, in fact, I haven't done that since the 1980s. Um, what I always do, and I've consistently done now for three decades, is that I, I see this as an expression of my own values. So I vote for what I believe in, just like I say what I believe in this podcast and in other and everything else I do in my life. I stand up for my principles. I say what I mean. And I use my vote as exactly that. And so sometimes like I'll vote for a third party candidate who has no chance in winning at all. Not a chance. But I also know that if I voted for Biden or if I voted for Trump, it will make no difference in the state of California's electoral college um, decisions. California is a stone cold lock to go to Biden. 100 percent of the electoral college votes in California will go to Biden. I know my one vote will not change that outcome. I'm, my one vote maybe possibly could change the outcome in my local races. That's the best probability that could ever happen. And even there, it's extremely remote. But at the state level, no way in hell my single vote is going to change the presidential race outcome for the state of California and where our electoral college votes go. So if that's the case, if I voted for Trump, I voted for Biden. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. It makes no difference. So I may as well just vote for who I believe in without compromise, without eroding my own principles. And so that's what I do. So this election cycle, I voted for Joe Jorgensen for president, and she's the libertarian candidate, and she's not the best libertarian candidate. They, the party itself, the libertarian party is a mess, and I'm no longer a member of that party. I used to be. The libertarian party should have nominated Justin Amash, <laughs> who I would have enthusiastically supported. But um, Joe Jorgensen is at least, she's not, you know, it's, she is definitely not a lesser of evils. She is a good um, to me, Biden or Trump is a battle of a lesser of evils from my perspective. Maybe from your perspective, you think Biden or Trump, one of them are angels and the other one's the devil. I don't see them that way. I, I think they're both very flawed candidates with terrible policies. Uh, so I'm going to I voted for Jorgensen. Again, she's not the ideal candidate, but she's pretty close. Um, her policy positions are very aligned with mine. And so and I know she's going to lose. But that's okay, because I see voting as my um, an expression of my own values. But I also recognize, too, that voting is a tricky thing and people will celebrate democracy and say that democracy is is really important. And and it's the foundation of America. And oh, my God, President Trump is eroding democracy and the capitalism is destroying democracy. And you'll hear all this, you know, shrieking and horror about democracy. Well, First of all, we, we don't have a democratic system. We have, it's not democracy. We have a republic. But in California, we do have a bit of a democracy with the propositions. We're not electing representatives who then vote on our behalf. Instead, we get to vote directly. Um, and the propositions are generally very good in, in ways to get the people involved. But sometimes democracy is dangerous. And I've mentioned this before. Like back in, I think it was 2008, uh, was when Prop 8 was the big thing here in California. That was the proposition to make gay marriage illegal in the state of California and to create a constitutional amendment that gay marriage was illegal, that marriage was only between a man and a woman. And they wanted to put it in the Constitution because it would be even harder to overturn it. 
and it passed in a blue state in California. And people have all these theories about Mormons and Latinos and, and all these different influences. I've heard all the excuses. But in the end, California voted to prevent two consulting, consenting adults who love each other from getting married. And to me, that's wrong. So, again, I, voting is great, you know, but democracy can sometimes is sometimes a democracy, in my opinion, can be immoral. And in that case, it was. Now, thankfully, the courts overturned it. They determined it was unconstitutional. So that ban on gay marriage only lasted a short time. Um, but uh, um, I, I think about that when I think about voting, because to me, voting is an expression of your own values, but I don't necessarily see it as this sacrosanct, this holy thing. Um, to me, it's important. You know, I vote every election cycle. I can't recall one that I've ever missed. I might have when I was younger, but I don't think so. Um, but to me, voting is important, but I don't hold it at the high level that a lot of other people hold it. Because um, I think a lot of ways voting is a lot about muscling other people, right? It's kind of, especially in the propositions, it's one group against another group, one group trying to suppress or oppress another group, rather than letting just people live their own lives. As long as you're not hurt, hurting anyone, just live and let live. And so um, I, I'm, you know, again, I love talking about politics in this podcast. I think politics is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of interesting topics to discuss really interesting candidates to interview. And I love that. I love the discussion. But I also know that if I want to make my life the best that it can be, if I want to pursue my happiness, I have to prioritize my life above the politics. I have to prioritize being able to pursue my own interests and to live my life as fully and as completely as I can, as can be to flourish in life. I, that, that has to be my goal. Um, and that's why I largely vote for a system that gives me the freedom to live my life according to my own values, gives me the liberty to pursue my own happiness. That's why I vote um, largely libertarian on a lot of these issues, because that's what I believe in. Uh, because I think we should be able to pursue our own happiness without a bunch of Karens and nanny staters like waving their finger in our face saying we can't do it. Like in this case with Prop 8, telling two gay uh, consenting adults they can't marry. I, I think that's wrong. So, um, again, I talked about how in this podcast I want to start shifting more and more towards ways we can improve our personal and business life. And But, you know, we're right in the heat of the political season, so we're still going to talk politics, and we will always talk politics. But I always try to keep reminding myself to keep it in perspective um, because I'm going to have way more power over my own life based on my own decisions than I will by voting and hoping I get a majority that hopefully the politicians will implement a system and hire the right people to create a system that works for me. Uh, going through that whole mega morale and, and oftentimes my choice will be denied and I'll be on the losing end. And But I know that I can make choices right now in my life today right now to improve my life without having to go get permission or 50% of everyone else to agree with me. I'm always looking for those opportunities to better my life. And I think that's important that we have a system that makes that as possible as ever. Um, okay. Um, 
what else? Yeah, the debates. We're gonna have the, the presidential debates will be tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to that. I guess they're gonna have a mute button, so there's not so much um, craziness like the the first debate. I still think President Trump was a fool for not agreeing to even do the virtual debate for the second debate because he's behind in the polls, man. He needs to if he wants to win, he has to take every opportunity he can to tear down Biden. Um, I thought it was stupid that he didn't do that final that last debate. But we're going to have one more. uh, They got one more bite at the apple. So tomorrow should be interesting. It should be entertaining. Hopefully I'll be live tweeting it. I think it's an off night for the World Series. Right. So tonight's game two. And then I think Thursday night, I think, will be the day off. So perfect. So I won't have to flip channels back and forth. That's a good thing. Um, just a few more topics. And we're at an hour and 14, hour, 15 minutes. But these are, these are brief. Um, first of all, love your thoughts and opinions. Be sure to share your comments in the live stream. Um, respond on my Facebook uh, you know, channel, John Riley Project. I've got that special John Riley Project Insiders group. You can join us there. We have a little more intimate, more detailed discussions. Um, you got to answer a few questions to get in, but I let everyone in. So join us there. And um, you can reach out to me on Twitter. My handle there is John Riley Poway. Um, and then, yeah, even on YouTube, there's been a lot more YouTube comments. I love that. So feel free to chime in there as well. Um, a couple of interesting things on, you know, just to give a quick update on my podcast. Um, one of my listeners came by yesterday and visited because he's thinking of doing his own podcast. And so he, he, you know, got a hold of me and then asked if he can come by and I share, share with him my, my podcast studio and showed him my equipment and all the different things that I'm doing. And, um, so, you know, that invitation is open to just about anybody, you know, I'm happy to share what I'm doing. If doing a podcast is something of interest to you, let me know. And I'd be happy to help. Uh, one of my other guests, David Leland is starting a podcast to talk about local sports, talk about the Padres and the Aztecs. And so, um, I was just giving him some tips on what microphones to buy. Um, so I've, I've thought about actually creating a digital course on how to create a podcast. There's a lot of information that's already out there today, but a lot of the information is technical. You know, it's about what microphone to get and what podcast hosting platform to use. But there's a lot of other things that aren't really included in that that I was thinking about creating a course for. So if you think that'd be valuable, let me know, because that's something I'm considering doing. Um, Also, I'm going to be moving the podcast studio back into my living room. I'm looking forward to that. Right now, it's I'm in my office. And I did that because now that I started live streaming, I needed to have an Ethernet connection. And my router is just like right over there in the corner of the room. Um, so uh, and meanwhile, my daughter has been living with us you know, because of the covid crisis. She's moving out and she had actually set up her office at our dining room table. So she's moving out. So that gives me a little bit more freedom to kind of move back into my living room, but I've still got to figure out an ethernet connection, but I'm looking forward to getting back out there. And you've seen the previous podcast where I have the purple drape. So I'm going to do that. And then I can kind of reclaim my, my, this is my office slash man cave. So I can reclaim this space. So that'll be good. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm wondering if we're getting probably not, but the question I'll ask is, are we at a point now where I can have in studio guests or should I still keep doing my guests remotely? And I'm thinking, well, if we do it social distancing, we could, but then I'm inviting people to my home. Does that put my family at risk? Probably does. Uh, but I, I know that when I do my podcast interviews in person, they're always so much better. I think not only is the conversation better, but the sound quality is better. 
Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I, I think it's still too soon. I might have to wait until the flu season is over, maybe until we get to the spring of next year. And then maybe by then, I think it'll be okay. So um, the other thing I'm doing right now is uh, really getting organized to do a lot more writing. I've got bullet pointed a bunch of topics I'm going to do. I'm going to write about, I'm going to, you know, write a bunch of blog articles. I'm really looking forward to growing my blog section on my website at johnreillyproject.com. Feel free to go out there if you want to see some of the things I've written about. Um, a lot of them are similar themes to this podcast, but there's a whole lot of other things that I want to talk about in my blog. And, and I'm, hoping that a lot of those writings, um, I can cherry pick from them and maybe compile them into something interesting, you know, some, you know, maybe a book or, you know, maybe public speaking or some other things. So I'm really looking forward to getting a lot of these experiences and thoughts and ideas, some of which I express verbally, but I'm trying to get them now down in writing. Uh, and I think that'll be really helpful for me personally. It's gratifying experience. I think it's helpful for the audience. Um, and I think there's, you know, an opportunity to to use that information that I'm writing and make it available to a lot of other people in a lot of interesting ways. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Um, wow. We're at an hour and 20. So let me share my final quote. And every podcast episode, I do a closing quote. And where is my closing quote? Oh, here it is. Um, and this is from Robert Reich and, you know, former labor secretary for Bill Clinton. And Robert Reich, uh, like I said, he and I philosophically, politically do not agree. So I challenged myself and I said, I'm going to go through his list of quotes and I'm going to see if I can find one that I can agree with. And I did find one and I don't necessarily think if we really went deeper with it, if we would agree, but on a broader scope, we do agree. And, And I want to read this to you and I want to explain it. So Robert Reich, and this is from his book, Saving Capitalism for the Many, Not the Few. And he says, there can be no free market. He puts free market in quotes. There can be no free market without government. The free market does not exist in the wilds beyond the reach of civilization. Competition in the world is a contest for survival in which the largest and strongest typically win. Civilization, by contrast, is defined by rules. Rules create markets and governments generate the rules. So this is an interesting quote. And I think a lot of this plays on, you know, talking about a ministry of truth, a truth commission. A lot of people misunderstand what a free market really is. A free market is not anything goes. A free market isn't, you know, people with guns on the streets. um, You know, it's uh, where they're, you know, committing violence and stealing. That's not a free market. A free market can only be free if people are able to buy and sell, to trade without coercion. So in a free market, you can't have people stealing things. You can't have people harming others. You can't be manufacturing products that hurt people. You can't be um, polluting (laughs) the air, the water, the land. Um, That's not free market because the, uh, the market can only operate freely when all participants are able to participate in a non-coercive fashion. 
fashion. So some people think that a free market is like Somalia. A free market is the wild, wild west. A free market is where there are zero rules. That's not true. A free market has rules. A free market requires government to have a set of rules. That's why in the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, it says that we have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and it's the role of government to secure those rights. So what that means is, is that if people are violating the rights of others, if people are coercing others to violate their rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness by doing things like stealing or cheating or committing fraud or rape or assault or any other kind of violation of another person, then of course the government should be involved in that. And the government has to be able to to take those bad actors out to allow the marketplace to operate freely. So my point, I guess, is where Robert Reich and I have an agreement is where he says there can be no free market without government. And he's right. There cannot be more free market without government. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, I'm getting a bunch of comments and they flooded my system. Um, I'm going to read these. Right. Let me finish this bit about Robert Reich. And I'm going to go back and read some of these comments. Um, I told you when I, I started this podcast and it was behaving odd. Because when I I'm originally I had an error message when I started it, then I went back and started it, and I my my viewer count wasn't even showing on the scoreboard, not even a zero, and so I ed, ended my podcast and I started over, and then the numbers appeared, and now suddenly I'm seeing quotes from Matthew Brannigan and Richard Torres and everything else. Um, I'm going to go back and read those. They just appeared on my screen, but Robert Reich and I are in agreement. There can be no free market without government. And he's right. Now, he would go much further in having a lot more rules, a lot more manipulation of the marketplace than I would. But at least I was looking. I challenged myself. Can we find a quote that Robert Reich and I agree on? And that, that is one. So right on. OK, let me go back to these these comments. And my again, my forgiveness. I had the two from John Carson that appeared on my screen and then no comments. And I was surprised by that. Anyways, Matthew Brannigan says, I have trouble with the word truth. So many religious cults like to use that word about themselves. And yeah, that's what I was mentioning about, you know, Robert Reich's ministry, not a ministry of truth. It was a, what do you call it? A truth commission. What was the term he had? Yeah, the, the truth and reconciliation commission. Yeah, when people talk about truth, the worry is, is who decides? Who decides what's true? And can you trust them? Um, that's why I think, the government shouldn't be in the business of deciding what's true because that's when you get these dystopian situations. And even I know people want someone to declare what the truth is and they do it for righteous reasons they, from the goodness of their heart. But who do you trust? You know, I think we have to distill the truth ourselves. We're going to do our own research and we're going to talk to people we trust and we'll figure out the truth. Um, in a lot of cases, the truth is documented. But, you know, like I said, if we have fake news now, what's the history like? It, is it true? You know, I think they say what the, the winners write history. So you have to look at history a little bit skeptically. But, yeah, I have trouble um, yeah, with religious cults the, deciding who, you know, what is true and who gets to decide. Richard Torres says, I think we need to dismiss some of the zoning laws and start making more homes. The alternative to the affordable housing shortage uh, um, are tents on the sidewalk. Um, 
the solution to this housing crisis is more housing. There's just not enough housing. Um, and that's why, you know, people are struggling to find places to live. That's why people live so darn far away because there, there's not enough housing near their place of work. That's why you're seeing a lot of people cramming into small places. The shortage of housing, it's like econ 101, supply and demand. When there's a lot less supply but great demand, the price goes up. And then housing becomes unaffordable. And then you have homeless people living in tents on sidewalks. So I think a lot of the zoning laws, in my opinion, um, may have made sense when they were originally written. Back when California was a lot less populous and people wanted to preserve um, their community, their city. But times change. And Right now, there. I mean, even our politicians, our our progressive Democrat politicians in Sacramento, are realizing it. They're, they've had their own hallelujah moment. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, Richard Torres, yeah, I think we need to dismiss some of the zoning laws and start making more homes. The alternative to the affordable housing shortage are tents on the sidewalk. Okay, um, Delana Gilroy Olps. Uh, commented, that's awesome. Chris and I are going to be purging after the election is over. Adding another kid to the home made us realize we have way too much stuff we're not going to use. Yeah, yeah. So addition by subtraction, man, I just, I love the concept. And uh, it's so much easier to subtract than it is to add. Yet we always seem to want to add stuff. We want more things, but more things, just more crap, more stuff you don't need. You know, you may as well just get rid of it. If you're not using it, get rid of it. And the less stuff you have, the simpler your life is, the, the, the cleaner your environment is, that your mind is unburdened from a lot of that, both consciously and unconsciously. I think it's great. So, you know, now, Granted, you know, Delena, your family has a younger, a young child and there might be opportunity. I know they're different genders, but there might be some hand me down opportunities in some cases. But, yeah, um, eliminating a lot of that stuff is wonderful. And especially if some other family that could use it um, can get great benefit and joy from it, then it's a win win. So um, I can't encourage it enough. So I'm just unbelievably simplifying things. Um, Delena Gilroy goes on further. It says, what made you decide to do ancestry instead of other DNA kits? I'm trying to decide which one to have our family do. So I, um, I had signed up for ancestry long before the DNA test became a thing. So I've been, I've had a subscription with ancestry.com for, I don't know, seven or eight years. And I go in spurts where I'll research and I'll be hot and heavy on it for a few weeks. And then I might go six months or a year with doing nothing. And then I'll get the bug again. And so then Ancestry came out with their own DNA kit. And I could have used 23andMe. Um, I could have used a number of others. But I decided to do Ancestry because they integrate it. So what Ancestry does is they take the DNA test results and they integrate it with my family tree. And then they will find people in my family tree that I share DNA with. And in some cases, they'll lead me to people that I don't have in my family tree and give me a hint to add them because we share a common ancestor. So that integration is really, really powerful. Um, now, you know, could the, could the information be breached? Could someone use it for uh, terrible purposes? That possibility exists, but I think the likelihood of that happening is slim, that I would be negatively affected by it. Uh, so I, to me, nothing but upside in having those tests done. And yeah, I learned some things and I've met some family members like my family member in England who was also doing research of the Harrington clan on the Barra Peninsula of Southern Ireland. Um, 
Pete Neal said, uh, you can vote on Prop P. Uh, Kevin, you can remind him, too. Um, I don't know. Pete, are you talking to me on that? Are you talking to John Carson on that? I'm not sure. I voted for P. I've I've been very clear about that. I was a yes on Measure P. um, And I have, uh, you know, made my case. I don't think I need to make it anymore. Otherwise, I'm just repeating what I've said over and over again. I know there are a lot of good people that disrespect. disagree with me. I know there are a lot of good people that have reasons to vote against it. Um, but that's okay. I still love you. You're still good people. Um, and we each have our opinions. And frankly, if we all had the same opinion, life would be really boring. Uh, the fact we can have different opinions and we could talk about it and we can agree to disagree, but on other categories, other topics, we can be in full agreement. That's wonderful. That's what makes relationships interesting. That's what makes our community interesting. Uh, Pete says, you said earlier you had no local issues. Well, there was one. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Pete contacted me earlier this morning and was telling me about, oh, we have so much local stuff to talk about. And I said, yeah, we do. But sometimes I have this mixed feeling about doing local content because on one hand, I know we have an audience, a local audience here in Poway that like hearing the local content. But on the other hand, I'm trying to grow the podcast, grow the audience. And if if I'm just talking about Poway all the time, then, you know, a lot of people don't live in Poway may not find it very interesting. So I try to mix it up. Um, And right now it's political season, so there's going to be a lot of Poway politics. But once we get outside of the election season, just like we did after the 2018 election cycle, we did a lot of stuff that wasn't politics, including Pete joined us. And we did a bunch of episodes about Corvettes and car buying, custom vehicles, all kinds of things. So, okay, um, I've gone on way longer than I thought. It's an hour and 31 right now. So thank you, everybody that was listening and watching and supporting the podcast. I encourage you to like this episode. Give it a thumbs up if you think we deserve it. Um, If you think we deserve a thumbs down, then let me know because I'm interested in your feedback. Uh, But if you could like, share, subscribe, that's always very helpful. Thanks for joining me. This is episode 179. We'll be back for episode number 180 on Friday at two o'clock. We're always going to be live streaming every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. I'm always interested in having more guests. So if you have any recommendations for guests or you'd like to be a guest, reach out to me on my website at johnreillyproject.com. Fill out a form. I'll get that. Or just reach out to me on social media and we'll find a way to connect. Okay, friends, we'll see you later. Thanks. Bye-bye.